Greetings, Amigops, and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every week, by our lovely, bespectacled, bipoloed co-host, Kyle. Now, Kyle and I are going to be discussing a topic. I have an inkling of what this topic might be. In fact, I know what this topic is. I haven't prepared for it, but I do know what this topic is. We're going to discuss this topic. We're going to debate it vigorously. And by the end of a sort of compact episode, we will have ourselves a definitive top 10 list. So, K-Dog, what are we talking about tonight? Okay, Mike, as you said, you know this topic. We have been discussing the potential uh, to do this podcast for a couple of days here. As hopefully most everybody knows by now, we are a few weeks after the debut of the hotly anticipated Pixar film Toy Story Quattro. That is four for you English speakers. Hotly anticipated and shockingly well-received. Stunningly well-received. Although... Not by everybody. Yes. I I, want to get into the reaction a little bit. This It's interesting... It's one of those movies that I know is well-received, but I don't actually know anybody who saw it. Other than, I, so I saw it, Caroline and I went with Mom and Pop. Uh, we actually, we had really a lovely night. We went out to, uh, Legal Seafood, so like a chain of, uh, seafood restaurants in Boston. Had ourselves some clam chowder, the whole dealio. Got into the movies. We missed the short, which was unfortunate. I don't know if the short was any good. We, I- there may have not been a short because Allegis and I got there like probably 20 minutes early and saw no short. Oh, perhaps there wasn't. But but other than us and you and Allegis, I don't know anybody who's seen it. The only other person I've talked to about it is Cody, which it, it's worth talking about. So if you've listened to our movie trilogies podcast with Cody, you'll know that he was extremely pessimistic towards the notion of a good Toy Story 4 as I assume we were. I never remember anything I said five we, minutes after I said it, but I believe we were pretty pessimistic. I would say we were cautiously optimistic based on the fact that they had proven themselves with a track record, track record of great mm. Toy Story-specific movies, notwithstanding the other kind of lesser-received Pixar sequels. And this was pre-Incredibles, too, I believe, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. But Cody's reviews were largely negative. He, uh. Of Toy Story 4. Yeah. He, I think his bar was so high. Like, I think in his mind, they needed to have something that was so undisputably as great as the others to justify it. And I think mm-hmm. in his opinion, it was a pretty significant step below. And so he was very disappointed. I, I think it's fair to say that this movie was a step below the other three, but just a step. It was still a fantastic film. I totally agree. I think the movie, it's interesting. I'll be curious to see how people think about this movie, not so much in terms of quality, but in like what what they think the movie was trying to do down the road. Because I think the movie walked an interesting tightrope between asking some of the biggest questions of the series in terms of purpose and like the meaning of life and those kinds of things. And at the same time, I think it, it chose the narrowest scope of any of the movies, particularly from a plot point of view. 
So it was sort of interesting. I'm curious whether this is remembered as the smaller, quieter, less ambitious film or the one that asked the big questions, because I can see it really going either way. I think it kind of depends what comes next. And I feel like Elisa and I had different interpretations. She kind of saw it as like, that's that's it. You know, Buzz is going one way. Woody's going up. By the way, spoilers. If you haven't seen Toy yeah, Story 4, don't, don't listen to this. And like kind of a sunset moment. I saw it as kind of like an opportunity for for another one. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Toy Story 5. My assumption is that this is opening up a world where they can do one-off adventures. So I'm, I would view this as a situation where the main arc of anything sort of meaningful and central has been done. But I would tend to think we're probably now entering the dawn of the Toy Story extended cinematic universe. We're looking at a a Hobbs and Shaw type scenario. I would think so. I think we're going to be getting like the Mandalorian. I think we're, I think we're in for like, you know, here, you know what? Here's the movie. We're going to get the meet the potatoes. We're going to get like a meet the parents, but Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Like it'll be a buddy comedy with Ham and Rex where they're like cops doing 21 Jump Street. Like I think, I think we're getting those movies. I would be interested in seeing a Buzz Lightyear spinoff movie where it's like yeah. it takes place in the Star Command universe. Yeah. And it's like from the perspective of a kid that's playing with a Buzz Lightyear toy, but it plays as like a Buzz Lightyear movie. It's a perfect example. I, I would be very, I would, I would say, yeah, okay. If, if that was what they did. Why don't we just scrap this list I've made and we'll just do <laughs> top 10 Toy Story spinoffs we want to see. Like pitch our ideas. Yeah. So. I think the related piece that I'd like to tackle just quickly before we get into... Have you said what the topic is? No. Okay. Can you say the topic and then I'll say what I think we need to talk about quickly because it relates to the movie like as a whole. Yeah. So I, in my experience, my my feelings about these Pixar sequels have largely been tied to how memorable they can add to an already established set, set of characters for example, like in Monsters U and Finding Dory, I found the the additional characters to the were not very memorable, and I think that really detracted from the film overall. You didn't like Phil Dunphy as uh, <laughs> the whale with the uh, echolocation. What's that whale's name? I don't know. Phil no Dunphy. idea, right? Exactly. Whereas this movie, I found that the character additions they made were extremely memorable and pleasant and really contributed positively to an already established cast of established relationships. So we are going to be talking about the top 10 new characters that appeared in this film. Or, and I'm being pretty liberal with that definition. Yes. So, so here's what I want to discuss really quickly because I think it's, a complimentary question is I thought this movie was interesting and different than the other three in what it did with the existing cast of main characters. I am willing to assume that a decent chunk of the, the method they employed there is because these characters, these actors are a little bit older. They're probably busy. It's been, I think nine years since the last film came out, but I don't know if you would agree I would say if somebody asked me who was coming into this movie, 
I would basically say none of the old characters are in this movie. Like, Slinky is not in this movie. Buzz is only Buzz is barely in this movie. I Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, Rex, Ham, they're not in this movie. Like, they're no. not. I they appear, and I think in most cases it's the original voice actors, but they're not really in this movie. No, it's kind of a passing of the guard, and it's also kind of you know it's a, the way it ends. It's 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 a it's a Woody movie. It's like you know it's yes. it's it's exploring the, the life cycle of a toy from being the favorite toy to you know what being there for that kid means, moving on, and then finding you know new purpose, and that yeah. it, from the perspective of Woody, and so like. It was basically his movie and, you know, the supporting cast supports that. And what's one thing that's interesting that I think I hadn't thought of, but I, that I think you just kind of reminded me of there is what's interesting is it's about the life cycle. And it seems like they just the, the filmmakers decided that for most of the toys, the cycle was complete and therefore no longer worth exploring. Like, Rex has completed his journey from, you know, first kid to second kid. And, like, we've kind of learned everything we need to know. But interestingly, Woody, perhaps because it's voiced, he's voiced by Tom Hanks, has gone through all of these things and is going through them again. Because he's already had the, like, he's no longer the favorite toy story arc that happened in the first Toy Story. That's the beginning of these movies. True. And he's kind of done all, like, the new kid thing that already happened. Like, he's been through these things. The getting lost thing. This is all, this is all a retread for him. But what I think was really cool, and what I, the reason I think that they did this is that he's now in a position of wisdom. Like, Woody doesn't learn anything in this movie. I, I would actually, I think I would venture to say he doesn't, he learns basically nothing he has these good lessons reinforced i think he learns some things from bo peep um about the importance of freedom and choice but i think as a mentor his he's he's moved on to this mentorship role i guess yeah and he's it's kind of an interesting concept like he's kind of learned to stop cuz pr- like prior to this like pretty much all of his motivations have been for his kid, for Andy or mm-hmm. Bonnie. And like, yeah, really at the end of the movie, like his motivations are a little more self, not like selfish, but self-centered. Like it's kind of like he wants to explore what else like could possibly bring meaning to a toy in their life. And he's exploring mm-hmm. that, which is kind of an interesting concept for a toy. I guess I over, I, I want us to walk back what I said a little it, bit. I overstated it. He, it's not that he didn't learn anything. He did that. That is his big central lesson and one of the big lessons of the film. So to ignore that would be missing the point. But I think a lot of the nuts and bolts that got him there were in place. I I, I completely agree. I know what you're trying to yeah. say. But yeah, but I, I think I still I want to be clear because I did overstate that a little bit because that is a big and important thing. But it's it definitely positions the movie differently. And I do think makes a is a big part of why I felt like this movie made a case for itself. I think that was my message to you before you had seen it because I saw it first. It was like I felt when I left this movie, it had a good reason to exist. I don't think it needed to exist, but I thought it had a good reason to exist. I'm wary of its of how well it positions the series for sequels that 
definitely don't need to exist. But this one, I thought, made a good case for itself. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think we'll kind of explore some more of those themes as we go through this list of of new characters. So we'll just get into it. It <laughs> The back end of this list is a little sparse. Yeah. But we'll, <laughs> we'll do our best here. So number 10... Uh, really stretching the limits of what I, of when I say a new character. Uh, number 10 is actually Rashida Jones, who got her first writing credit in this series. Mm-hmm. We were both really excited, like a couple years ago, when we heard that she was going to be writing this. And yeah. I think it's uh, a credit to her that this movie kind of stood up with the Pixar films in general, but the other three Toy Story movies in terms of writing quality and like exploring <laughs> balancing exploring a mat- mature concepts while making it funny and entertaining for a kid it's not easy to do and i thought the the balance was well struck totally agreed here's my question i know she got a writing credit my understanding is that she left the film so do we know what exactly she was responsible for like i i think she pitched the initial idea right maybe and now that you're saying that you're totally right like she definitely left early on in the process so (laughs) no but But, i don't no 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 i don't want to hate on rashida jones at all i just am now i'm curious because some these writing credit things are so complicated that i feel like the fact that they accepted a script in the first place for a Toy Story 4 indicates to me that the kernel that whatever it is that she was responsible for had to have been good enough to persuade people to make this movie. So I'm, even if she's not the person who wrote like the, that funny line that made it into the last version, I have a strong feeling that given the way these things go, she must have storyboarded something good for this to get made. Cause I, I don't, I don't feel like this was a situation where they were automatically going back to the well just for the cash. I think they know how important it is to preserve this and they wouldn't, they wouldn't risk it unless they knew they had something good. I, I get the same sense. And like her, the, I do remember that her name is in the credits because Elise and I, we forgot about it. And then Elise and I saw that we said, Oh wow, that's great. So clearly she can contributed enough that her name is still attached to it. Yeah. So you're right. Even if it's not down to the the word, but at least I can imagine some of the broad strokes for the structure of it were hers. So mm-hmm. this is number 10. So I guess it's fair, but she's also, I just want to make sure our listeners know her <laughs> ambiguous ethnic blend is a testament to all that America is about. And the <laughs> the idea of the American melting pot, Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. That brings us to number nine. <laughs> Again, a bit of a stretch. So number nine is uh, these these characters technically ap- appear very briefly at the end of Toy Story 3, but we don't know much about them until this film. Number nine are Bonnie's parents, who I think deserve a mention, not because they're really interesting in any way and kind of just are there to drive the plot, but because they're extremely patient parents (laughs) like they're really good parents i really liked them yeah i mean like how many fucking times does she lose that sport (laughs) with the pipe cleaner around it and her parents like delay leaving a place by what appears to be like 
on the order of hours to help her look for her. Like, like a Scooby-Doo, we're trapped in town situation. Yeah, like, over and over again, they, like, drop whatever the fuck they're doing to help her find her toys. And, like, her mom walks her around, takes her to an antique store. Like, they're on a fun road trip. They just seem like great parents. And even though we don't know much about them... <laughs> the interactions of him with the police at the end when he's driving the RV were were fun and I thought they were uh they filled their roles very very nicely. Totally agreed. I I think they were terrific parents. Like no issues there. I have one question. Somebody I got into an argument recently with somebody about whether Russell from Up was Asian or not. I was always under the impression that Russell from Up was in fact Asian. Okay. And this person was like pretty vehement in telling me that Russell wasn't. So my inter, my, I, I, I don't, do you have a take on that? I, I thought I he was. Absolutely thought he was Asian. So this is news okay. to me. No, uh, don't let it be news. I think we're right. I think this person was just weird. Uh. Also, it might be like a close friend of ours who was just like seeing the movie wrong. So sorry if I'm implying it, like you didn't want Russell to be Asian. I, I don't think whoever this was cared. It's probably like somebody we know. And, so I'm curious about the race of Bonnie's parents. Did we get a read on this? Because they're an interesting complexion. I, the dad to me, I was going to go South Asian. Like I was, I was giving this guy Pakistani, Indian, Sri Lankan. Was that, was that your read on this situation? Not really. I, I was kind of getting like Latina vibes from the mother and I didn't know if it was like a Miles mm. Morales type situation. I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to Google uh, Bonnie Toy Story 4 race. Her last name is Anderson. Okay. That's that not helps. super helpful. Okay. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I, I don't. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't want to get I don't want to get super into politics here. But I will say that the National Review, if folks are not aware, is a conservative publication. Not like a fringe conservative publication. This is like a fairly mainstream conservative publication. But it's refers to her as mixed race. So that's interesting. So they, they're saying she is mixed race, which I think is right. But they're they're then talking about this indoctrinating us into a consumerist culture and <laughs> some interesting stuff that they're getting into there. Oy. But I I think, I do think she's mixed race. I don't know what races she is because this is sort of like on uh, Seinfeld when Elaine is dating this guy and they both think that they're dating because they're a mixed race couple, but (laughs) neither of them can agree on what they think they are. She thinks he's black and she's white. He thinks he's white and she's Hispanic. And they're finally, they're like, so we're just a couple of white people. (laughs) <laughs> and it ends with them agreeing to go to the Gap. Oh, my God. All right. At any rate, I don't know what the hell Bonnie is, but uh, uh, it seems like she's mixed race. You go, Bonnie. Yeah. Her and parents, your parents. Her parents did a fine job this this mm-hmm. installment. But they did a fine job being whatever race they were. Yeah. Whatever that happened to be. <laughs> <laughs> White people. Anderson. <laughs> so, number eight. Uh-huh. It dismays me to put this character this low. It's because... Mm-hmm. I was really hoping for an extended appearance from this character and it ended up being kind of a quick thing. So when Woody shows up at the, at the park or at the fairgrounds, they get some intel from a camouflage clad, basically GIO, GI Joe type doll. 
but who goes by the name of Combat Carl and mm-hmm. is clearly modeled after Carl Weathers. Yes. <laughs> there are three of them in different kind of fatigues, and there's the, the third one keeps going for a high five and keeps getting left hanging. Mm-hmm. That one is my favorite, of course. It's not, like, surprising, but that one was awesome. Obviously. It played for laughs. I really liked the Carl Weathers reference, and then I was delighted when immediately after the movie ended, I went on IMDb and found out that Combat Carl was, in fact, voiced by Carl Weathers, my acting coach. It was fantastic. He's a terrific acting coach. He's he's not cheap as an acting coach. No. Yeah, just... Wonderful. It's, it is important to get the parents something to do here. And like the weird sex jokes that a lot of animated movies were doing, like in the nineties have kind of gotten a little weird. So <laughs> dropping a little Carl Weathers in your movie is, is the play. It was yeah. a delightful addition to the series. Yeah. I really, really like that. So that brings us to the not top three. I mm-hmm. think I just don't. Should I start or what do I? You should just go. Just do it. Just do. Just go. I, I just don't think I can. You feeling a little constipated? I can't do it. Yeah. If only someone would play some stanky not top three music. Boo 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 eh eh. Ooh, nice. Thanks. That was again. so. Stanky. Thank saved, you, Kevin. Saved it. That was getting awkward. Yeah, that was weird. I didn't like it. Okay. Not top three. So, very obviously, I guess they kind of had, like, a redempt not redemptive arc, but, like, a, oh, I guess they're fine arc at the end of the film is the fucking dummies in the antique store. Ugh. I am not a child. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I have hair on my back to prove it, but... <laughs> Very scary, very creepy, will be sticking with me for a while, and I just don't know how good I would have felt about bringing a child to that movie after that. Yeah, like, that's that was my main concern. It's like, if I was a kid, I'd be, like, legitimately scared of this, and I don't think there's a point in any other Toy Story movie. Well, that's not true. Sid's Room is fucking terrifying, but, like... Sid's Room is terrifying. And Zurg, I guess, has some mean vibes to him, but, like... But Sid's Room gets... I think Sid's Room is far more clearly, like, brought to light and, and sort of demystified. Like, while, while the, the dummies do get their arc that we kind of, like, move on from the creepiness, like, the baby with the spider legs in Toy Story. Oh my god. Is so, it's so creepy to start with, but he's so thoroughly humanized and demystified that even a kid who is afraid of the creepy visual, I think, the movie was clear enough that they shouldn't be afraid of it. Right. There's no such no such no. indication with these dummies. No. The the second and final entry on this list is one of my larger bones of contention, or not bones of contention, one of my largest questions about this movie. It really bothered me. Um, but only after I thought about it, after I saw the film. So, do you remember... One of the ways that the toys get around this carnival is on uh, like on this basically like RC toy that has like a skunk on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a skunk running around. It does look like a skunk. So the way I see this, there are two possibilities. One is that it's like an actual RC car 
that is attached <laughs> that is attached to I'm a, so I know exactly where this is going and I love it so much. If it's a to, if it's a RC car like a prank RC car with a skunk on it, then it's definitely a fucking toy. In which case they're riding around in the carcass of a toy. Like a dead I will, toy. I, I don't want to get super deep into this whole conversation, but the the movie does make the whole question of the animating force behind toys a little bit blurrier than it ever was before. I think the previous implication was that any toy is is sort of like anthropomorphized and it becomes human-ish. But this one implied that it's like the writing of the name on the foot. And we don't have to get into it because that's that was a little squishy. But I'm at least oh I'm at least open to the possibility that a toy could be inanimate in this world. So maybe this is a uh, a skunk toy that never had life breathed into it. I'm not open to that possibility. The other alternative. Yes, I have- please give us the other. And I'm much more the, the far better scenario, which the I alter- like. The alternative is that the RC car is not a toy, but they just put a dead squirrel on top of it, which is like yeah. arguably more fucked up. Like it's. I think it's less fucked up and better because then it's not like, it's not cannibalism or like repurposing or desecrating the corpse of your own species because we at least allow for the possibility. I know that sentiment has changed on this, but for the last like several thousand years, like tens of thousands of years, it's been pretty common practice to kill an animal, skin it, and then wear it. Yeah. Fairly barbaric practice, but because <laughs> it's a different species, it's just sort of okay. Like, the Buffalo Bill situation is less okay <laughs> because it's still a human. And I think that's sort of, to me, like, the line here. So, if it's toy-on-toy violence and, like, living inside of another <laughs> toy, that's pretty messed up. But if it's an actual animal, what you know... Live and let live and let, let live and let die. Like you go. I was perturbed by either scenario, and I don't see another way in which this plays out unless they like found yeah. like a like a Davy Crockett skunk hat. <laughs> and like I, I don't it's a know. great, it's a good possibility. I don't. What is the agent that they're using to preserve? <laughs> like I don't think Peep has formaldehyde on hand. Like if if she killed this this skunk. With her <laughs> shepherd's crook, I guess. Like, I'm not yep. sure. Yeah, there's some questions. I've got questions about the skunk mm-hmm. mobile. Yeah. Pixar, hit us up, because we want to know. <laughs> yeah. That should be in, like, a Reddit AMA. Yeah, let's get this going somewhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any other not top threes, unless you can think of somebody. No, that seems reasonable. Okay. Then let's get back to number seven. So speaking of cannibalizing other animal or other toys, in that scenario we discussed, the cannibals would have been Bo Peep's sheep, Billy Goat and Gruff. <laughs> so these te- these sheep technically appear in at least the first Toy Story film, probably the second. Yeah, oh. but but like uh, very differently, obviously. They're just like. They're, they just don't have any kind of personality or meaningful role in those films. Yeah. And in this movie, they function very effectively as both 
comic relief and like kind of like gateway to Bo Peep that Woody has to kind of traverse, which is touching. Yeah, they're they are like surprisingly important to the plot. Like I imagine, I imagine in most like writers' rooms, this is maybe. I'm totally wrong, but I would imagine that when the writers are all together, they probably poke and prod at which characters they could get rid of. Like, they probably say, if we were to get rid of character X, would the plot still work? And the answer, shockingly, for the sheep is certainly not. Like, the plot wouldn't function at all without them. We need the sheep, guys. We need the sheep. Yeah, like, like I think I'd listen. I'd love to get rid of the sheep. They're costing us five hundred grand a piece in animation, but like. I can't get rid of them. I don't know how to get any of this action to actually happen if we get rid of the sheep. There's a point where they, like, fall off a shelf in the antique store and, like, hit a corner of a desk. And by yeah. all rights, because they're, they're like, weirdly made out of porcelain or, like... Yeah, something. they're, like, they're porcelain kind of something. Some kind of, like, brittle material. Like, they should have yeah. shattered into a million pieces. They're not and- rubber. No, no, no. And they're, like, fine. And I think that, like, they probably considered, like, should we blow the sheep up? And yeah. they were like, we can't. We can't We blow can't the sheep do it. Up. Like, the rest of this movie will not work. We're going to have to have, like, a weird ten-minute side adventure to get somebody else in place to move the plot along. So they had to keep the sheep. And they were fun. Yeah. They were... Yeah. <laughs> the peeling around in the skunk mobile was a real treat for me. I liked that a lot. It was, totally agree. it was just funny to see them like operate like this three headed machine operating a RC car where like each of them had a lever in their mouth. It was very amusing imagery. Yeah, I, again, like conjoined twins, hilarious when animated and animals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> conjoined triplets. Yeah, it's like it's good stuff when it's when it's not life threatening, right? oh boy that brings us to number six i'm like i i'm not tired enough to be i feel like this is the the top 10 unfiltered this evening and i'm but i'm not that tired usually this only happens when i'm really tired i think i'm just hot I, i got no i got no time for filtration that's fine it's toy story so let loose yeah I just realized you haven't had the, neither of us has had the giggles on this podcast yet, which is kind of funny considering how many hours we've put into it. That is it. It's, it's too much. It's, it's alchemical. Like we have to, there's just a magic element that has to exist, which I think can only occur in person. Yeah. So what, 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 what happened at the wedding? What was the, <laughs> um, what was the situation? I forget. <laughs> like You're talking about Dobby. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gross. Gross. Boat peep sheep will uh plow the back forty for you, I imagine. <laughs> Alright. Alright. Number, number six. six. Well, yeah. Number six. Number six. Speaking of Bo Peep's cohorts, number six yeah. I have Giggle McDimples. So great. Great internet discovery because I couldn't figure out whose voice this was because I found it so endearing. This character is voiced by the woman who plays Komiko on one episode of New Girl. She is the Japanese tourist who Nick sleeps with and she thinks Nick is a prostitute. 
<laughs> and she's the character. She's the actress who voices this character. Wow, made me very happy. What a find by you! Great work. Yeah, thank you. I I knew it immediately. I I googled the name. I was like, and I saw the picture. I was like, oh, that's Komiko. This is like when you sniped that Sir Dantos <laughs> was the weird hacker friend from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, that was weird. I was bored. I, <laughs> not, I hope my boss isn't listening because I was just really bored at work. And I just, like, <laughs> just daydreaming. I was like, you know. You know who Sir Dantos is? He's that really <laughs> obscure character from that movie that like 90 people saw. <laughs> I was one of them though. Yeah. Alright, so Giga McDipples. Huge fan. I actually was like, oh, I was, I was very ready to be annoyed by this character and was never annoyed for a second. Really liked her. I thought she was great. My, she was great. I was expecting a little more of her. Like, I agree. After a strong start, she didn't do a whole lot, but the role that she filled extremely well that I appreciated, like every, I'm not gonna say every girl or every woman, because men have this role too. But I'd say more so women like have one friend that just like they just support you like and will talk shit about like anybody like no matter what. Mm. And like there's this there's that scene where they're they're after they've kind of bailed on Woody and they're heading towards the carousel and she's just like I can't believe that cowboy. This and this and this and she's just like like bl- not blindly but like so is so clearly squarely on Bo Peep's side, no matter what, which I yeah. really appreciate. She's like always totally. in the corner. She's clearly a very good friend to Bo Peep. This uh, Giggle McDimples. I also lost it when she was like, "Oh, it's go time," and she like Lego Movie style like flipped her head around and then was wearing uh, sunglasses. It's fantastic! It's yeah. fantastic stuff. I don't want this origin story because I I don't. I like the mystery, but I I am kind of interested in the meetings, like the the origin story of Bo Peep and Giggle McDimples as a squad. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm just super into Giggle McDimples. I'd love to know a little bit more about her actual toy background, like what she's supposed to be. Is she part of a set? Are there other people? She feels like a Polly Pocket. Yes, I think a lot of these mysteries will be solved for us. Unfortunately, whether and, we like that or not, yeah, yeah, but but I I kind of like that. There's sort of a question, an open question of how these two became buddies. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I mean, like just from a logistics perspective, Giggle McDimples is pretty small, although she has a yeah. big voice and a big heart. So that's true, and presumably can like whip a megaphone out if need be. I would imagine that there's an attachment that allows her to use a megaphone that like is in her pocket somehow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. If not, it's somewhere in her little home. That was fun. Yeah, I, I actually really liked it. That was hilarious. All right. That brings us to the top half of this list. Mm-hmm. Number five is our reformed villain turned sympathetic character, Gabby Gabby. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of... I would have been a little more into this character arc if we had not kind of seen it already a number of times 100 percent. i i think i felt a little bit of a been there done that vibe yeah because i mean like and the voice box thing was super fucking creepy and like that was new but Mm -hmm. like the concept of like you know like wanting to have a special connection with a kid like you know 
it's been done. It's been done with, you know, Woody and Jesse and, uh, and lots of hugging bear. Pete. Yep. Yep. Pete, whoever. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's still fucking played great. And like part yeah. of, part of what puts her this high is that at the end there, when she ends up getting with that lost girl, it was like, that fucking wrecked me. It destroyed me. It yeah. was like, yeah, man. I mean, and you can see it coming a mile away that the girl that she was interested in was just gonna not be interested in her. Mm-hmm. It still hit. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I, I just, I kind of liked this, like, concept of a like crime boss style chatty cappy doll like just hanging out in an antique store waiting to pilfer a voice box from some unsuspecting toy like that i liked a lot totally and i don't know if we're gonna kind of get into it too much and i'm not sure what influence she had over like the town in the antique store but i loved that i mean that scene in the speakeasy was one of my favorite parts of the movie and i think we might talk about that a little bit in a bit but I liked the town and I liked how she fit into it. I think, I think what's interesting is every universe, like the heroes sort of have a particular vibe. And so the villains fill in kind of naturally. And so it's not always surprising or necessarily all that upsetting, in my opinion, at least when the villains become a little similar. I think where it's a bummer is when they sort of lose the differences in translation and sort of miss out on the, the distinguishing features. So, I think a good example is the Joker in the 1989 Batman and the Riddler in the 1995 Batman are very similar characters. And I think that the basic notion of wanting to best Batman as like a major motivation for these characters is not surprising given the rules of the road set out by that universe. And so that there are two villains who in a particular way are sort of motivated by that. That's not surprising. Like that's not surprising at all. And so that there's this world where companionship with a human and finding your purpose as a toy is a major theme that a couple of the villains are, are toys that don't have that connection or have lost it. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a disappointment. That's natural. Like that's the world we're living in where I think, this movie, way my my feelings on Gabby Gabby wavered a little bit, is where they sort of lost the feel of what made her a little different. That was that was when I I didn't buy into her as much as I wanted to. But then at the end, I thought they did a nice job of emphasizing what was different about her. Yeah, and that that definitely saved it for me. I really totally. I thought that paid off pretty nicely. Totally agreed. All right, that brings us to number four. Number four, and the only reason that she's this low is because technically she doesn't fit on this list. Like, so mm-hmm. because she's in other Toy Story movies, but I think that Bo Peep in this film, and on the list I have her as woke Bo Peep. She <laughs> is so radically different as a character from what we've seen in previous Toy Story iterations that I believe she warrants inclusion on this list. And I docked her a few spots because of it, but she belongs high. She's the driving force of this movie, pretty much. And she's going to be, or maybe already is, one of the most fun video game characters to play as of all time. I know you and I have talked about, and possibly on the pod, 
like the weirdness and greatness of the Toy Story N64 game with the blue cartridge, this game is going to be off the chisane and playing as like Elsa Bo Peep with the cape and the whole deal is going to be so much fun. She's, she's, they redesigned her look in such a cool, badass way. She, that didn't feel manipulative. It didn't feel just like they're trying to sell toys. And it didn't feel just like they're trying to shoehorn in a powerful female character. It felt like her new look fit with the development of this character that, that just felt really organic and true to what we want out of this world. It felt like if you combined Captain America from Infinity War, like weird, like all dark bearded Captain America with Rosie the Riveter, like that was Bo Peep in yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. I think some of that actually was like the way her, that bandage was on her arm and like the bandana. Like, I don't know, like that might've actually been intentional, but damn, she was fucking cool. And like, Oh yeah. Like, especially next to Woody, like who's remained at least aesthetically like pretty static and has, you know, is the pretty prototypical hero type. Like, to see him kind of, like, be stunned by how different she was and kind of be, like, following in her wake. And literally, at times in the movie, she's just like, be quiet, shut up, stand right there. I got this. It was that was one of my favorite moments of the whole movie was when she told him, like, dude, you're screwing everything up. It was just awesome. It was awesome on so, so many levels. But it was it was definitely awesome, I think, on a certain level, the way that you and I have talked about Black Panther being awesome. Like... To see young, non-white kids in a movie theater being super excited about a character who who looks like them and being like, man, I get to see a person who looks like me being awesome in this movie. I felt the same way about like the little girls in that movie who are like, oh, damn, Bo Peep is telling Woody to shut up and she's not wrong. Like, this isn't, the movie isn't setting her up to be the asshole. The movie isn't setting her up to be bossy. The movie isn't setting her up to have screwed up and then have Woody save her. She's right. She's right both in terms of the plot of the film. Like, she knows the X's and O's of how to infiltrate that weird-ass glass cabinet. But she's also right in that she has something to teach Woody. Like, that's cool to me. That was awesome, and it felt really gratifying that the movie stuck the landing for all the all the little kids out there who needed to see something different. I love that. Amazing. I definitely, like, the movie, it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of Woody's movies in some way, but I really think this movie is Bo Peeps. Like, this movie yeah. can't exist without that character, and so it's important that they got it right, and they they did, so it worked out. But. Yeah, totally nailed it. And, and though I'm not taking the cynical point of view here, and I, I'm saying I think that they totally did this right. This is going to sell a lot of toys. Oh, I'll I'll buy probably two for myself. So, hundred percent. I think if they actually sold like a porcelain lamp of Bo Peep with the sheep, like I'd be seriously interested in one of those. <laughs> yeah, but word. Also, she's voiced by Annie Potts, who I don't know that name off the top of my head, but she's the like sassy and bored secretary in the Ghostbusters movies. Oh, wow. I like that. I didn't realize that. But I'm glad she's a little bit older. It makes sense. Yeah. No, definitely. All right. Uh, honorable mentions. This movie, 
very conveniently dropped a nice list of honorable mentions right into my lap. So, I don't know if you remember this, but early in the film, when all the toys are hiding in the closet, and Bonnie kind of, like, bursts in there and takes a bunch of toys, and Woody gets left behind, basically ignored. And while she's playing with all the other toys, Woody is having a conversation with the other toys in the closet that got left behind. So, it'd be hard to tell this just watching the movie, and I certainly didn't notice anything special about these toys. It, but in perusing the IMDb page, it became clear that all of the toys are like pretty spectacular cameos from very well-respected actors and actresses. And then the names of the characters are puns on their names, which is amazing. So the if you remember, there's like a pink or purple or green like chair from like a some kind of kitchen playset, voiced mm-hmm. by Carol Burnett, named Cheryl Burnett. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that that was Carol Burnett at the time. That's fantastic. Yep. There was a elephant voiced by Mel Brooks named Melephant Brooks. Now that I caught. I knew that was Mel Brooks wow. and thoroughly enjoyed that. Keenier. He was, he was a, he actually figured pretty prominently into a season long arc on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I've heard ah, his voice quite a bit. That's great. Mm-hmm. The, the clock named Old Timer is uh, voiced by an actor whose last name is Oppenheimer. <laughs> okay. Betty White was... I don't know what her character was. Maybe a shark or something, because the character name is Bitey White. I totally missed that. Yep. Uh, and then the last one was Carl Reiner, who uh, voiced Carl Reineroceros. <laughs> that I also caught Carl Reiner. He is a true joy, and uh, that would make me very happy. I, I didn't catch any of that while I was watching it, but that's truly spectacular, and I really like that. Yeah. I really, really give a lot of credit to them for just, like, calling them their actual names. That was great. Amazing. Yep. The only other honorable mentions I had were uh, Axel the Carney, who's actually voiced by Bill Hader. <laughs> so, is Axel the Carney the guy who's working the, like, the, the shooting gallery? I believe so. Okay, so did you catch the uh, the Pizza Planet? I did not notice that it was Pizza Planet specifically, but I did see a tattoo, and I was like, God, I wish I had paid attention faster, because that's definitely something. Yeah, so it was the Pizza Planet. It was his calf, right? Yeah, so are we to believe that he's the crazy driver from <sighs> Toy Story 1? I don't know about that. I think that that's at least... A very strong possibility. I'd I'd say that it's probably a 50% shot. But the, he definitely has a Pizza Planet tattoo on his calf. That's for damn sure. He's at the very least a kid who loves Pizza Planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that he's like the goon head delivery pizza guy uh, from yeah. Pizza Planet in Toy Story. Yeah, and then I like that. The other one I'll mention is just because it like made me like flashback really aggressively to a toy I used to play with when I was a kid, when they first show up at the like park area and there's the sandbox and there's like a fairy with wings. And did you ever play with yes. these toys where you rip the string and the toy flies up in the air and its arms spread out and it like spins and floats to the ground? Dangerous shit. A oh, blast, yeah. but very dangerous for the eyes. Cause it's very tempting to look up at them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And they don't always, like, deploy correctly, so sometimes they'll just, like, fall down really fast. 
Yeah. But, uh... I think I had a Batman one of those. I do, I remember that very distinctly, like, that those toys were a blast. Yeah. I, but, like, I hadn't thought about one of those for 15 plus years, so, like, it was just, like, cool to see something like that and immediately and viscerally remember it. It Yeah. It was cool. Totally. All right. Back to the list. Number three, I was (laughs) so happy with this character. Number three is Duke Kaboom, the Canadian Evil Knievel. So I didn't realize who voiced this until uh, 10 minutes before we started. So please tell the folks the delightful, delightful actor who voiced Duke Kaboom. This guy is on such a heater. Duke Kaboom was voiced by the one and only Keanu Reeves. I don't... I think if you... <laughs> if you, you put me in a time machine in 2003, like the height of the keanu like, I never in my life would have believed Keanu Reeves would be in our lives at this time. Because Keanu Reeves was a star at Bill and Ted and Point Break, which was, like, the 90s, like, the early 90s, right? Bill and Ted's, like, the 80s, I think. I want to say Point Break is, like, mid-90s, but... It's... Like, maybe... I, I'm going to say Point Break's, like, 94. Let's give it a quick... You keep talking. Okay, and then and then we get him for then we get him for the Matrix movies, yeah, and then the replacements. Point Break but is ninety one. Okay, so th- to my point here, the Matrix replacements era of his career was already the Keanu Sans. Right, like, he had come back. Like he was, he I believe was kind of gone, and then came back for those films, and then again disappeared until John Wick. And now he's fucking John Wick. <laughs> yes. I, and also crazy handsome. He was like really weird looking and not attractive for several years there and is crazy good looking now. Yeah, he's settled into his ruggedness quite nicely, which not yeah. everyone can do. But and I didn't know I didn't know this watching it. Like his voice is not so distinct that it's obvious that he was voicing Duke Kaboom, but mm-hmm. I I loved this character. I thought it was so fucking funny. Like the whole uh <laughs> the flashback of like him meekly oh. falling off the ramp on Christmas morning and like <laughs> one of them so true to life. The uh my probably my favorite shot of the whole movie is when he flies off the Ferris wheel and like streaks across the full moon with his arms outstretched. It's like simultaneously actually beautiful and extremely comedic and when he smashes his head on the <laughs> on the the lights at the other end oh my god i want to emphasize the actually beautiful part because it was really gorgeous and super cool and actually thrilling which was weird to say about this but i actually was thrilled like i actually got into that that set piece totally agreed and while we're on the subject i'll just say that pixar does this they'll just like pick something to flex on and they'll just like really go for it like and Finding Nemo, it was, like, the water effects. And in Brave, it was her hair. And, like, every... every, And then in Monsters, Inc., it was the fur animation. Like, every movie, they pick something and they, like, really fucking do it. In this movie, just the the flex of doing it at a carnival with all the flashing lights and everything. It was, like, truly amazing to just, like, stop. And especially because the last, like, half hour or so all was at night. That was amazing. The animation on this film was was mind-blowing. And I really liked the way they incorporated some of those sort of more 
modern camera techniques, which was super cool. Yeah. And different than what they've done before, because I think typically they had done multi-camera or single camera, whatever, what a single camera they had traditionally done. This one, they actually did like multi-camera with zooms and pans and stuff in a different way that I thought was really cool. Amazing. Yeah. So, do kaboom. Really fun oh, stuff. Wait, sorry. Last thought. Loved how much he reminded me of Don Cheadle in Ocean's 13. I couldn't help but think about that character. It just reminded me so much of him. Nice. Nice reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, number two, I had Ducky and Bunny, voiced by Key and Peele. <laughs> so, dumbass me, I knew that Ducky, whichever one was, whichever one was Keegan-Michael Key, I knew it was Keegan-Michael Key, but I've, I've fallen so far out of the Key and Peele world because Jordan Peele is his own guy, yeah. that I didn't realize that it was Key and Peele. Like, what a dope. I did, I knew it was Key, but didn't know it was Key and Peele. And to be fair, like, Key's definitely a more recognizable voice talent. But, yes. But they were both hilarious. That I, speaking of getting the giggles, when they were talking about methods by which they could obtain the key from, when they went through that whole, which by the way, like, the way these movies are being written has changed so dramatically because this movie was really, really funny and kind of follows the structure of the way a lot of these big tentpole movies do nowadays, like it's true of Marvel movies too, I think where like comedy is such an important part of them. And that whole sequence where they like, it's not, you don't see it in a Pixar movie. Like it's a no. tangential, just like side shoot, like a family guy kind of thing. Yeah. Of like this woman getting ready for bed and like drinking wine in a bathtub. And then these two toys like sneaking into her bedroom. I thought, the fact that they went down that road right in the middle of fucking Toy Story 4, like, and maybe the, like, the meta, like, decision to do that was even funnier than, to me than the actual, like, yeah. comedy of it, but I was that, it was, like, getting awkward, like, Lee just was like, stop, like, I was laughing, like, a full minute after it had happened. <laughs> oh my god, they were funny. <laughs> I think that was the funniest, I think that was the funniest bit in all of Toy Story. Like, all four of the films, I think that was the funniest bit they'd ever done. And I don't <laughs> think it works without Key and Peele. Their chemistry, and even at the time when I just knew it was, you know, Key and some other guy, was <laughs> so palpable and so perfect. They were perfect. Like, it felt as though Ducky and Bunny had been best friends for years, and had just had this relationship that developed off camera. It was so perfect. That and like it's a testament to how they pulled these characters in so smoothly is that they felt like a totally natural part of like this party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also, totally. And speaking out of conjoined twins, like the humor of them being connected was actually very potent. <laughs> yeah, and the just the basic concept of like the the life of a carnival toy being different was just very enjoyable. Amazing. So, Ducky yes. and Bunny. I think Ducky was key and Bunny was Peel, if I had mm. to guess. W say that again? I think Ducky is key. Yes. Yes. I Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's my recollection. Yeah. So, and Ducky was the funnier of the two. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and the, did you stay through the credits? Yes. When they, they, again, the same style joke where it just shows them, like, getting huge and blasting people with lasers and stuff. <laughs> also, the animation on that was really cool. I actually thought that, that was really beautifully done. I really quite enjoyed that. And 
that two minutes uh, of Godzilla there was better than the two hours of Godzilla I watched earlier this summer by a factor of about a thousand. Wow. I, that was, I, that's what I, I love. Pick Like they'll spend, you know how long that took to animate that took. Yeah. That probably took like a month. Yep. And they did it. Like, it's like when they did bloopers at the end of the Incredibles, like mm-hmm. it took them months to do that. Anyways. Yeah. I don't think anyone will be shocked. They did great bloopers on Toy Story 2 as well. Yeah, that's true. I don't think anyone will be shocked by number one. No. Number one, it wasn't his movie, but he's kind of the, maybe not the soul, but the soul of the movie's maybe not quite right either. <laughs> of course, we're talking about Forky, voiced by Tony Hale. <laughs> I just cannot believe we live in a world where Tony Hale is as widely recognized as the star he is. He is a comedic genius. Genius. There's, like, there's nothing to say but that he is a genius. (laughs) It's also funny that they managed to, like, absolutely create Buster in toy form with this character. Like, and also, like, the physical comedy of animating a fucking spork is out of this world. Out of this world. And heightened by any viewer who knows who Tony Hale is. Yeah. Because instead of just seeing this, this spork, you're picturing Tony Hale as a spork having these weird things happen or having him try to run repeatedly yes. into the garbage. Like I could see Tony Hale doing that. And I can't help but now, ever since you said it somewhat recently, my biggest Buster Bluth moment that I think of now is when his mother blows smoke into his mouth <laughs> and he has to go to the window to blow the smoke out the window. Like, I just was picturing this whole time, Forky, like, just like waddling over to a window to blow smoke out of his mouth. Oh, he's so good. The... The animation when Woody jumps out the RV to get him and they're walking back to the carnival and he's just like intermittently like trying to keep up and waddling and then like giving up and like flopping on the ground and you can hear his stupid little popsicle stick legs like hitting the pavement and he keeps saying, carry me. It's it's so good. That's one of the best scenes that I've seen in a movie in a long time. Like that whole walking sequence is perfect. It's a real, it's a master class in what to omit. Because I think there's a different version of that sequence that's longer and involves more detail and has more direct lessons from Woody to Forky. And it's a much lesser version of that scene. It's because the like, yeah, the, the, the Forky has this received wisdom when the sun comes up or whatever, you know, whatever the marker of the time passing. Yeah. Like that was such a great way to do it. And that was the right way to do it. Absolutely. That was awesome. So yeah. And, and obviously, like, he, he's like this stand in kind of for like, you know, this theme of, you know, finding your purpose and understanding, you know, what, what makes a toy. Like, what is, that's like kind of an interesting concept is like, what is a toy? It's just anything that can bring joy to a kid. And totally. Well, it asks it um, in probably ways that are unwelcome to the film because it's about the logic of the movie, but also in ways that, are welcome to the film because it gets to the root of this question like what about toy rocks like what's the where what is the limit case like what about things that are used like toys but aren't toys 
And so, like I said, in some sense, that's just the fuzziness of the movie's logic. But I think in a deeper sense, it's that the movie's asking you that question. Yeah, I agree. So, love Forky. I'm excited to see if the female version of Forky ends up in the sequel. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. What was her name? I don't remember. She's a knife, I believe. Like a plastic yeah. knife. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I lo- <laughs> Trash! <laughs> 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 so uh that was my list uh i don't know if i missed anybody i did a pretty exhaustive search through imdb no and you also ranked precisely as i would have ranked i have literally no changes and this is not a case of my being lazy it is sometimes this is not my laziness this is exactly how i would have ranked it excellent the only thing i might have done would be switch giggle Mc- dimples and gabby gabby but I don't think so. I think you made a no. strong enough case that that's exactly Let's do how it. I would do it. No, Let's... no, 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 no. You made the case, so I want to keep it the way it is. Okay. No. But like I said, that's the only thing I would even consider. But I, I liked your case for Gabby Gabby, so that's exactly how I would do it. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. That was a good one. I would say... Yeah. I would say before we go that if people enjoyed our theme music or our not top three music or both, that... That was put together by the incomparable Kevin McLeod. He's the best. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. You're the best. Thank you to Angelo, the intern. Yep. Thank you, Ange. I would also like to thank Erin Sant. Of course, she designed our uh, our artwork with our lovely faces upon it. Mm-hmm. If you want to see more of her artistic stylings, obviously, you could do that at Sant Design on Instagram. Word to that, and before I do my piece, I want to quickly rattle off the list because we didn't do that just there. I'll hit it quickly. Well, uh, n- number ten, Rashida Jones. Number nine, Bonnie's parents. Number eight, <laughs> Combat Carl Weathers. Number seven, Bo Peeps Sheep, whose names are Billy Goat and Gruff. Billy Goat and Gruff. Uh, number six, Giggle McDimples, voiced by Komiko. <laughs> number five, Gabby Gabby. Number four, the new and improved Bo Peep. Number three, Duke Boom. Number two, Key and Peel, aka Ducky and Bunny. And number one, of course, the wonderful, the Tony Hailed Fork. Booyah. Booyah. So that's the list. You got some info from Kyle. A couple things that I would say is if you want to check us out on Instagram or any of the other social medias, you can find us at Top10KM. The 10 is spelled out. We're at Top10KM on Instagram, on our Twitter. You can shoot us an email, Top10KM at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. Send us an email. Tell us you want to do a list. Tell us you want to propose a bunch of ideas for Toy Story 5, and that's a list. Come on. We would love to talk about it. Try I out. have a feeling you're listening on a podcast app right now, but if you want a different one, you can find us on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. It's about what I would say, K-Dog. I think you pretty much covered what needed to be said. So we are in great shape. We I'll sure are. You. We both look great for the summer. <laughs> Thanks, Dylan. Shut up, Dylan. Get out of here, Dylan. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. I'll tell you what. I'll talk to you in a few days, and we'll do this again. Arrivederci. All right. Later, homie.